Go ahead and and, uh, turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. That's where we're going to be today. And so let's take a little bit of a look back at where we've been. Walk in godly wisdom. Walk as somebody who knows that there is a God, a God who sent His Son to save us. Imitate God. Imitate God in the same way that God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit submit to each other. They submit to each other in their different roles, so we submit to one another too. And we do so out of reverence for Christ in the context of of a committed relationship with fellow believers just like this one right here at WBF as we demonstrate Christ to each other. This is how we should roll in our relationships as believers and mutual submission. All of us equally valued by our one God and yet God assigns us different roles in life. Roles that we fulfill by being continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. These are the kinds of things that the Holy Spirit has been teaching us in Ephesians as we have learned how to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, a calling to walk in union with Christ and with one another. And this is a walk that is defined by the person and work of Jesus Christ Himself. And lately we have seen how we do the same thing within the family. We first took a look at being married God's way. Husbands and wives have different roles. A husband leads his wife by serving and nurturing her, not through a worldly kind of dominance, but as a servant who loves his wife in the same sort of way that Jesus Christ loves his church. And a wife submits willingly, never slavishly. Her intellect and her dignity are always intact. And she submits in the very same way that the church willingly submits to Christ. And so husbands and wives fulfill their different roles in life out of reverence for Christ. Last week we took a look at the relationship between parents and children. How to be a family God's way. How as members of a godly family we fulfill our roles for the very same reason as husband and wife fulfill their roles and as you and I as believers in this church fulfill our roles. We do so, we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so for a family to function God's way, God commands that children obey and honor parents. And He also commands us parents to love and care for our children by demonstrating the gospel to them. Through godly discipline, through godly instruction, and even by our godly example in the way that we live our lives. And so today, we continue in this same vein of the family, sort of, (laughs) sort of. See, our, our passage today deals with slaves and masters. This isn't something that we deal with frequently in this day and age, thanks be to God. And so for us to fully comprehend our passage today, we've got to understand the nature of this relationship, but not with our 21st century American goggles on. We need to understand this passage in the context of the culture that Paul is speaking into. And so we're going to spend a few minutes taking our American goggles off so that we can grasp what Paul is and is not saying in these five verses in Ephesians. And so even though this passage kind of seems antiquated and irrelevant to our time, it actually has a lot to say to us today 
so the big idea of these verses is twofold. Uh, first, the first idea, and this is one that is more implied than, than plainly expressed. The first idea is that as Christians, we're called to be light in the darkness. And so that means that whatever circumstance or position or role in life that we find ourselves, our calling is to be light in that particular situation. And secondly, as believers, no matter what our roles are in life, we serve the same master. Whether we're a servant or a master, an employee or a boss, our calling is to bring glory to Jesus Christ as we submit to Him, both in the way that we serve and in the way that we lead. And so, as has been the case throughout our walk through Ephesians, uh, we discover that there, there is absolutely no way that we can do God's will that we can fulfill our roles in this life without first being changed by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, of course, is our guide and our enabler to fulfill these roles that God has given us. And so let's go ahead and turn to Ephesians 6, 5 through 9, so we can read it and begin to dig in. So beginning in verse 5. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free." Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. The word of the, God, of the Lord, thanks be to God. And so let's go ahead and get our shovels out and dig in and take a look at our first point. As Christians, we are called to be light in the darkness. And so we look at the first verse of our passage and it says something that, that ties our stomach into knots as Americans. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters. Well, the first thing that we've got to do here is remember what Pastor Kavakis is constantly reminding us of like a broken record, that context is king, right? Context is king when we read a passage of Scripture. We want to understand the connection of the thought in these verses with what else is being said. And so in this passage, the immediate context is incredibly important because Paul is including the relationship between masters and slaves in the same breath as marriage and children, in the same breath as family. And that's for a very important reason. In Paul's day, uh, slaves were a part of the family. In those days, the idea of slavery, it, it didn't have uh, these connotations of evil that pop so easily into our American minds in this day and age. This is where our, we can start to, to kind of peel off our, our American goggles and begin to look at this passage uh, in the way that the Holy Spirit wants us to. You see, when Paul addresses slaves in verse 5, he's addressing them as legitimate members of the families whom they serve. You see, f slavery in Paul's day was, it, it really was something that nobody really ever thought twice about, including the slaves. 
About a third of the population of Greece and Italy were enslaved. People did debate about how slaves ought to be treated, but this was a thoroughly accepted way of life for absolutely everybody involved. And so the consideration of of slaves and how they were treated was, was more like the negotiations that we know about between union and management these days. And neither side ever imagines that the relationship between employees and the company should ever be abolished because that would do away with not only the company, but the very jobs that one side is trying to protect. And so the relationship between master and slave was, was different than we think of. And in fact, for, for the master and slave, this was not a, a casual or distant sort of relationship. It was a family connection. And this is why Paul includes this exhortation right after his explanation of the godly parent-child relationship. Yet at the same time, the f- families in that pagan world of, of Paul's day Uh, While often were loving and caring, sometimes they were also ruled by the iron fist of the man of the house, the husband slash father slash master. You see, he was all three. He had the say with a capital T and a capital S. He had the legal right to, to punish his children and his slaves by putting them to death if they disobeyed in some circumstances. He even had the right to put his wife to death if she committed adultery. Same thing wouldn't happen to him if he did the same thing, but that's the way their culture was. And so family life could be very harsh compared to the way it is today. To compare to our laws and, and so on and so forth, the way our society is set up. Nobody had the sense of independence that we think of today, including the sons and daughters of the master, of uh, the, the man of the house. Even as adults, the master's sons could not own a single thing until the father died. And likewise, the master's daughters, they never had any independence. They were usually married off at a very early age to a man whom the father chose, and that man would make all the decisions for the wife. So the the daughter would never have that sense of independence. And where slaves fell into this was, well, they were just a notch below the daughters, really. But they were considered to be a part of the family. Family life had its advantages, even for a slave. In fact, some people even sold themselves into slavery so they could improve their lives. It shows you how hard life was. It, it might improve their social status, or maybe they did it to get a particular kind of job that was open only to a slave, or, or maybe uh, so they could have a better standard of living if they were free, and that was very often the case. And so this situation, this kind of slavery that we're talking about here at Ephesians is really very different from the way it was right here in Fauquier County about 151 years or so ago. The the context of the situation that Paul is addressing is this. He's already shown husbands and wives how to be married God's way, and he's shown the children and the fathers and the mothers how to be a family God's way. And so in addressing slaves, he's actually just completing this picture of a godly family in Greco-Roman culture, in the culture of the day there in Ephesus and in the surrounding towns. 
And so the reason that Paul doesn't plainly condemn slavery is because God's Word is always more interested in what's going on inside of us first. Now we can, uh, some other time, we can go through and prove that Scripture does not uh, agree in principle with the idea of enslaving people. We can do that. We don't have time to do it now. But, but what God's Word is interested in, first and foremost, is what's going on in our hearts. What drives our hearts, you see, is what drives our actions. Outward morality can't save anybody, but a changed heart because of the love and grace and the blood of Jesus Christ will change us. And so the question that Paul is addressing is not an unimaginable question for his day, whether slavery was acceptable. The question that he's answering is how to be a family God's way. And families in Ephesus included this relationship between master and slave. And so to put it in the way we would put it today, he's meeting the people who's reading this letter exactly where they are. This is, of course, the same place that Christ met us before we were saved. He met us where we are, and he spoke into our lives, and then we were changed. And so Paul is writing knowing that, that as his readers accept God's ways through faith in Jesus Christ, God is going to bring about changes that nobody can even imagine yet, including, glory be to God, the abolition of slavery someday. And so this is where we can take a step back and look at the big picture. Some scholars think that the majority of the believers who received this letter for the first time were, in fact, slaves. They were, they were very low on the totem pole in that culture, to be sure. And yet, this is what Paul is saying to them. You are incredibly and very valuable right here where you are for the sake of the kingdom of God. It's a powerful statement. In other words, this is our first point. That as Christians, we're, be, we're called to be the light of Christ. You remember Ephesians 5.8, it says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you were light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And that means that wherever we are, Whatever our role is in life, whatever our circumstance is in life, even if it's very low on the totem pole, our job is to shine the light of the gospel. Our job is to be light. Now Paul says this knowing that the people reading this letter are surrounded by darkness just like we are. The darkness of Paul's day wasn't just slavery, but there was rampant paganism everywhere. There were Greek gods and Roman gods everywhere. There were temples everywhere built to those gods. There was promiscuity. Uh, the, the Roman government's rule was harsh and cruel. Every single human institution in that culture was becoming more and more corrupt. In other words, it's just like reading today's newspaper. It's just like today. Satan ruled the world then and he rules it now. And so the question before Paul and before us today is not how we can, how we can oh, we got to stop that darkness through, through our moral mandates and our laws and all this kind of thing, as good as those things might be. But, but our problem is, is that we think that darkness can somehow swallow up the goodness of God. But it always works in the opposite way. 
Light always penetrates the darkness. We're here as believers, as followers of Christ to proclaim the truth of John 1, 4, and 5. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Darkness can never swallow up light. It's impossible. If we, if we lit a, if, this is kind of a kumbaya moment, but if we lit a candle here at midnight, and we had all the lights off in this room, and we lit a candle right up here on the pulpit, every one of us would see it. All of the darkness in this big old room could never, ever, ever swallow up that light. And so what Paul is, is getting at here is the same thing that the rest of Scripture is getting at, and that is the heart of the matter, which is the heart. You see, the, the Holy Spirit changes us one heart at a time. And so to carry on the kumbaya moment a little further, you know, we, we light each other's candles, in effect, as we witness, as we bring glory to Christ, as we tell people about His saving grace and the blood that He spilled out on the cross. And so, and so if we gather here again at midnight and all of us have candles, this room becomes very bright, doesn't it? We just described the church. And the purpose of the church in the world is to be the light of Christ. But individually, the matter of the heart that we're talking about is about dying to ourselves through our faith in Jesus Christ. About being not only willing, but yearning for the opportunity to serve Christ however He wants to use us. So that it is His goodness and His glory, His truth, His holiness, His grace that are put on display. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. An unbeliever simply cannot say that. A, a, A person who does not know Christ cannot live for the glory of Christ without first being changed by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And so a person who doesn't believe cannot obey Christ. And he cannot even serve his earthly master for the glory of Christ without the Holy Spirit. You see, the power for us to live by faith in the Son of God comes only through the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit only comes through the blood of the cross. It only comes through our faith in what Christ did on that cross. And so God chooses to place us in this darkness to shine for His glory as we walk by the Spirit as we are continually filled with the Spirit. Sometimes He puts us in high positions where there's, maybe there's corruption and greed or whatever the case may be. He puts us there so that we can shine for the glory of Christ in that situation. But you know what? Some of us are slaves. Some of us are down on that social totem pole. And yet God is calling us to be His light even from there and to proclaim His truth. You see, what is vastly more important than our status in this world is our standing before God as recreated sinners who are now children of light. 
who are now enabled by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit to be light. We were darkness before. Now we are light. And so we can shine into the darkness even, even if we're slaves. And so as we think about this together, about what would be going through the mind of a believing slave in Ephesus who is wondering about how in the world to serve Christ and in this situation. And maybe even he's wondering about how to serve Christ under an earthly master who is a pagan and who doesn't treat him well and so on. As we consider that, we start to see how God really does sometimes intentionally put us in very dark places, in very challenging circumstances. And he puts us there so that we can shine all the more brightly even from that low position. And we become a witness to his power to save us and to change us from within. And also we present to others around us the opportunity to become light themselves because we get to introduce them to the gospel. And so the question for us today might translate into something like this. Well, you know, I believe in a sovereign God who makes no mistakes. He's placed me where I am in this life. And since I have the Holy Spirit living in me on whom I want to rely entirely for my strength and ability, my question is, how can I be light in the darkness at work? How can I be light to my unbelieving boss? How can I be light to my fellow employees? How do I fulfill my role as an employee in a way that brings glory to Jesus Christ? How can I be, how can I be a faithful Christian even when I just really can't stand my job? Well, fortunately, Paul answers those questions for us as we move on to our second point and into our passage. The second point is that as believers, no matter what our roles are in life, we serve the same master. Whether we are servant or master, an employee or a boss, our calling is to bring glory to Christ. Not only in the way that we serve, but also in the way that we lead. And so the first thing that Paul does in verse 5 is affirm the authority of masters, or in our world, the authority of bosses. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters. Obey them. That's what he says. And so he also tells us to obey them sincerely and genuinely for the sake of Christ, with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. A slave is to obey with fear and trembling. That is, he is to recognize the authority of his master in the same way that we ought to recognize the authority of our bosses. This is connected uh, to how Paul exhorts us in Romans 13 to obey the governing authorities, uh, knowing that, as he says in verse 2, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Wow. And so that means that our fear and trembling as slaves or, or as employees is directed toward God himself, the God who has placed us under our earthly master. And so a slave's disobedience to be, or, or, or his slave, the slave's obedience, on the other hand, to be sincere, uh, uh, he, he should be sincere. And, and so this means that he shouldn't, 
he shouldn't just be going through the motions. You know, when we're at work, we, we should be genuinely enthusiastic about performing our duties. We should do our duties to the utmost of our ability. We should be all about excellence in what we do. And why? Because our fear and trembling, our sincerity of heart, is an act of worship directed toward our real master. Obey as you would Christ. You know, Christ, he, he doesn't want lip service. He doesn't want us to just obey the letter of the law. What he wants us to do is to obey because we love him. And obey because we really do regard him as our authority in all matters of life. And so our obedience to our earthly matters ought to reflect our obedience to Jesus Christ. When you think about it, it really makes no sense at all for us to, to, to try to say that we're obeying Christ sincerely when we're insincere toward the very people that God has put over us. It's hypocrisy to do our jobs with no enthusiasm or regard for that person's authority. In other words, instead of Instead of doing our work grudgingly, we should do it from the depths of our, of our being with the Holy Spirit's help. Just as a slave of, of Paul's day uh, is to see the eternal value of getting down on his or her hands and knees and scrubbing that mosaic tile floor that you see pictures of from those days. Just as, just as a slave is to see the eternal value in that, we should see the eternal value and serving our bosses and completing all of those tedious reports that he wants us to, to do, but we do them as carefully as we can. We, we become thorough and thoughtful employees. We become thoughtful about everything that we do and the way that we go about our work. If we're, if we're a ditch digger, we dig the absolute best ditch we can and we do it in a timely way. We follow through with the boss's plans and commands. And we do all of this as if we were serving Christ himself because you know what? We really are. We really are. We do our, our work as if Christ was literally sitting in that boss's chair, as if Christ were the foreman who is overseeing our work. And so Paul continues. We serve our masters, our bosses, in verses 6 and 7, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. You know, how many times do we find ourselves kind of doing the eye service thing and just doing something just to please somebody, but we're re we really couldn't care less about what we're doing? We do our work in a way that, that makes us look good, but we're just putting on a show. You know, when the boss is around, we look really busy, but when he's out of the office or with a customer or something, we, we take it easy. We drag our feet. When he's around, we, we want to give him the impression that, man, we're doing an awesome job, but when he's not looking or if he's not paying all that much attention, we're, we're just really not working all that hard at all. Well, the Holy Spirit through Paul is saying basically that instead of a rebellious or lazy attitude toward our work, instead of dragging our feet or neglecting our work, what we ought to do is approach our work as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Do you see the emphasis on our heart and attitude in this? 
This isn't legalism. This isn't just do this and then this will happen. No, we do this from the heart. And our attitude does not depend on our boss. The quality of our work doesn't depend on our boss. What it all depends on is our own desire to please our Lord Jesus Christ. I've always loved Colossians 3, 23 and 24. It's the the parallel passage uh, to this one in Ephesians about the slave's attitude and what it should be. And so Paul says this. He says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. I love that. You know, when I, when I worked in D.C. a, a while back, it, that was a hard thing to do for me sometimes, to work heartily and much less to do it as to the Lord. You know, I had a long commute and there were stresses of the job that weighed me down. Sometimes I had very, very little external motivation to go to work except just to pay that mortgage. That was pretty much it. But sometimes, sometimes I had trouble with with my job because because I had bosses that I really didn't like and let me tell you about one of them this one in particular gave me assignments that I thought were beneath me so you can see where this is going already over time I started to drag my feet I started to to protest against those bad assignments he was giving me and other people in my department uh, began to share my view, and so we just threw gasoline on each other's animosity, animosity toward the boss. Well, one day I was emailing one of those coworkers who shared my view of the boss. We were both already well down that path of eye-rolling about him and cracking jokes and so on. And so I was emailing this coworker about something the boss wanted. And my, my boss's name was fruit rich, fruit rich. It was spelled just like it sounds, fruit rich. Well, I thought that was kind of funny. And so very cleverly, very wittily, it showed you know, a great deal of insight and wisdom. In my email, and I'm not making this up, I called my boss Fruity Tootie. That's pretty good, isn't it? I can tell you're impressed with my professionalism. Well, everything would have been just fine except for my coworker always displayed her email text on her screen so big that you could read it across the room. And that's exactly what happened. My boss uh, looked over her shoulder as he walked by and he saw into my heart and saw what I thought of him. Needless to to say, my boss was, was very hurt and very angry with me. And rightfully so. I apologized to him immediately and very sincerely. I I was horrified. I felt terrible for what I'd done to him. But but even more than that, what I realized is, is how sinful my attitude and behavior had been in light of this very scripture. And so my coworker was a believer too. And she confessed her sin as well. And we talked about it. And so what we did is we pledged to obey this passage in Ephesians and the one in Colossians as perfectly as we could from that day on. And let me tell you what happened. We decided to serve our boss in light of serving Christ. And so whatever assignments he gave us, 
No matter what we thought of them, we did, our, we, we did those things to the best of our ability. We, we did them cheerfully and sincerely. We did them with the attitude of wanting Him to succeed. And an amazing thing happened. Our hearts were changed. And we also became better at our own jobs. And over time, our godly attitude began to spread through, the, through our department. And so under our boss's authority and guidance, we became an incredibly good team. And our boss, he became a great success. And the beautiful ending to this story is, is one that only God can write. We, we ended up with a deep mutual respect for each other and it's a respect that continues to this day and I can look back and say with every bit of sincerity and truthfulness that he is one of my favorite bosses. This is what God can do when we obey Christ, when we submit to him, when we serve Christ by submitting to our bosses or even in the extreme sense of obeying a master as a slave. This is what, we, what, 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 this is what can happen when we, when we die to ourselves, when we walk as children of light, when we imitate God. But you know, whether we see clear results like I got to see, that I was privileged to see, or whether our servitude has effects that we cannot see, there is a reward for obeying Christ in this way. For if we obey, uh, for, for we do obey, we obey in verse 8, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. And here's where we've got to remember and to remind ourselves that we're only visiting this planet. We are not citizens of this earth. We are citizens of heaven. And so our hope is not in this life, but it's in the life to come. You know, earlier when we were singing what a friend we have in Jesus, we sang of that life to come when we won't even need to pray because we're going to be in the presence of God perfectly in His presence. And so His glory will be everywhere. We will bask in His glory. We'll be in that land where there is no night, where there is no darkness at all. That's a glorious truth. And I think sometimes we, we push it aside because we want so desperately for this life to look like that one. But God says we have that to look forward to. It is our promise. It is our hope in this life as well. And so all to say, it is not our status in this life that matters. It, it truly does not matter in eternity whether we're slaves or millionaires. What matters first and foremost, of course, is whether we, re we receive God's grace through faith in His Son, but also what matters is how we learn to depend on the Holy Spirit as we live our faith in the midst of this present darkness right where God has put us. And so whether we're a bondservant, a slave, or free, we serve the same true master if we are believers. We are the same before God because the same precious blood that Christ spilled for you, brothers and sisters, was also spilled for me. We have been purchased by the same master. 
We belong to a God who plays no favorites regarding our salvation. Galatians 3.28. Many of us know this one. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so in the context of what Paul is saying in Ephesians, there is no slave nor free in eternity either. Our earthly distinctions will not matter. And so even though God uses our different stations in life, God does not value them like we tend to do. And that's exactly what Paul's point is in verse 9. He says to masters, masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. You know, we, we can easily imagine uh, what happens when men are given almost an absolute authority as they were in the households of Paul's day. Legally, the man of the house was given an incredible amount of leeway in how he treated his wife, his children, his slaves, his family. Our own experience proves that when a man or a woman has unchecked authority, that person reveals the darkness of the human soul. Everybody from Stalin to the bully on our childhood playground proves this to be true. And so Paul is saying that that believing masters or bosses are called to demonstrate the gospel too and to demonstrate it by submitting to Christ and also by bowing just as low as the slave before Christ. There is no difference between us. Do the same to them, he says. Do the same to them. In other words, serve Christ in the same way. Submit to Him. Depend on the Holy Spirit and die to yourself. Preach Christ by doing good. And so here's a question for you. Are are you the boss at work? How do you treat your employees? Are you serving Christ with fear and trembling? That healthy fear of displeasing Christ? That healthy fear of of bringing discredit to the Gospel? Or to put it in a positive sense, do you have a strong and healthy desire to do well for the sake of Christ? To represent Him well? As a boss, you have an incredible amount of power either to do damage or to show people the Gospel. And so the question is, do you play favorites? Or do you treat all your employees in the same way? Are your dealings with with those under you fair? Do they walk away from encounters with you knowing that they're cared for and considered and valued? Are you an encouragement to them? Do you look out for them, protect them from the dangers at work, office politics, or whatever the case might be? You know, this is beginning to sound an awful lot like being a husband and father, isn't it? Well, that's because that's exactly what Paul wants us to see. He wants us to see that as we rely on God, we'll be the kinds of masters and bosses who display the love of Christ. And what characterizes the love of Christ but grace? Christ loved us even when we were unlovable. And so if our employees require discipline like our children do, 
Do we provoke them to anger or do we bring them up in their careers? Do we help them to succeed instead of fail? Do we do, we do so with godly discipline and instruction? Do we do so even by our own godly example? In other words, are you being the best boss that you can be in the very same spirit that you expect your employees to be the best that they can be? Does your integrity set the tone for the workplace? Is your master at work as much your master as... as, as, Let me try that again. Is your master at work as much as he is at home or at church right here in the pews today? Is he your master at work just like he is here? You know, I remember when our boys played baseball and we knew a lot of Christian parents uh, who thought that their behavior on the ball field could be different than at church or at home. They said that it was okay somehow for their kids and for themselves to scream at umpires and to cheat if they could get away with it, to cuss and to spit and to fume and to complain and, and grouse and all those kind of things. You know, I think bosses are especially prone to think the same way about work. Our position, our, our authority might convince us that somehow the rules of the game are different because the stakes are so high. Because, well, there's a lot of money involved or maybe some promotions are on the line. But we've got to remember that Christ is our master no matter where we are or no matter who we are on the ball field, or in the conference room, or on the construction site. Ultimately, what the Holy Spirit through Paul wants us to understand is that we bow before Christ, whether we're the CEO or the guy who mops the floor. That our faith in Christ ought to be evident to everyone, even to unbelievers, in how we handle things, in how we treat our employees, or if we're an employee, how we treat our bosses. We should be examples of how there is no partiality with God. There's no favoritism. No one comes to him but by the blood of Jesus Christ, or to put it positively, whoever puts their faith in him will have eternal life. Whoever puts their faith in him will have eternal life. Any image bearer of God on this planet who puts their faith in Christ, we're going to spend eternity with in heaven. The Holy Spirit uses us as witnesses to the gospel when we control our tempers, when we exercise reasonableness toward our employees, when we demonstrate God's patience as we set the example for those under us. And so the the ultimate question for those of us who are masters, for those of us who are bosses, becomes this. Do those around you have the sense that they are tasting the presence of Jesus Christ when they interact with you? Are you so filled with the Spirit that they cannot help but see Jesus Christ whenever they interact with you? Well, that's our second point, that no matter who we are in this world as believers, we serve the same Master. And for those of us who are under authority, Even as slaves in Paul's day, uh, we are called to serve Jesus Christ by being the best we can possibly be, by doing the best job we know how to do, 
by obeying our bosses. And as bosses, even as masters in Paul's world, we do the very same thing. We honor Christ in our leadership. Our faith in Christ means that our job is to give our employees a taste of Jesus Christ every time they encounter us through our integrity, our care for our employees, our our consideration for them. And most importantly, we have to understand that none of this is possible if we do not know Christ. It is through our faith in Jesus Christ that the Holy Spirit works in and through us. It's a lifelong process to learn to depend on the Holy Spirit in these things. But glory be to God, He is patient with us even while he nudges us to die to ourselves. But in the meantime, brothers and sisters, here we are. Here we are in the middle of all of this darkness as points of light and together as the church shining brightly. And we shine in our different roles as we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We are forgiven sinners with the same master who imitate God, all of us learning to depend on the Holy Spirit to bring glory to the cross, all of us learning every single day to shine upon that cross more and more brightly as we demonstrate our love for our Master, our true Master. And we do that in the way that we serve and in the way that we lead. Amen. Let's pray. Holy and gracious God, You are patient with us. And yet you teach us always to persevere in our faith and to learn and grow in you. And so, Lord, we depend on the ministry of the Holy Spirit to teach us to depend on you in all things. Teach us, Lord, to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Teach us, Father, as employees to serve our bosses in a godly way. And Lord, if we are overseeing other people, we pray that you would give us grace and and, uh, wisdom as we do that, that we would serve in the same way, that we would submit to you in the same way so that your cross will be in the spotlight for all of eternity. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.